0: For whatever reason, Linda and Autumn and Michael and I were back in the car traveling somewhere on President's Day weekend, so we tuned in once more. And this time, Keller said, when I was a boy in the schoolrooms, pictures of Abraham Lincoln and George Washington would look down over us. And if you looked up from your work, George Washington was looking down with you with a stern face, and it was as if he was saying... You better get your head back down, boy. You get to work. If you're going to make anything of yourself, you get yourself disciplined and get to work. And then you look over at Abraham Lincoln and he would be looking at you like, oh, it probably doesn't matter. You're most likely to get hit by a truck anyway. (laughs) And then Keller said, there are no pictures of presidents on our walls in the schools today. Every square inch is filled with the children's work. Last year, David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, semi-conservative New York Times columnist, which sounds like an oxymoron, it's not, spoke at an Anglican conference. And in his introduction, he talked about the state of thinking in today's culture compared to where it was years ago. And here's a couple things that he said. In 1950, the Gallup organization asked high school seniors, are you a very important person? 12% said yes. They asked the same question in 2005. 80% said yes, I'm a very important person. Americans scored 25th in the world in math. But if you ask Americans, are you really good at math? Apparently, we're number one at thinking we're really good at math. (laughs) Time Magazine asked Americans, are you in the top 1% of earners? Turns out 19% of Americans think they're in the top 1% of earners. So they have a lot of self-confidence, Brooks said, and the great desire for fame. Fame used to be a low value. Now fame is the second most desired thing in young people. They did a study, would you rather be president of Harvard or Justin Bieber's personal assistant? And of course, by three to one they would rather be Justin Bieber's personal assistant. And then Brooks added, though to be fair, I asked the president of Harvard and she would rather be Justin Bieber's assistant. (laughs) This was before the last year or two, you know, when, when all of that stuff happened with him. Before we read the text this morning, I want to test your knowledge of Greek, the original language in which the New Testament was written. Going to look at Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And there's a word in there that is not in the Greek, but was added in recent English translations to help us understand what Paul was saying. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You have any idea which word it is that doesn't belong there? It's the word selfish. Because it's only in the last few centuries that ambition Has come to be viewed as positive in any sense. In the days when scripture was written. Selfish ambition would have been redundant like cold ice. So we view life differently than we did before. What does this have to do with raising children? Even though I'm sure you get it. I'm going to connect the dots. Or at least put so many dots on the page that you'll see The picture anyway. Our text today is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. One of two very short texts in the New Testament that has to do with raising children. And that begs the question, why is so little instruction given in the New Testament about raising children? Well, I'm going to attempt to answer that. After we read, would you please stand as I read Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4? I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. My, my kids knew this verse before they knew anything else. Children, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Just before we pray, I'm not talking about this in the message, so let me, let me just visit it for just a moment as we're, we're absorbing this passage. Remember, we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about marriage, the order in the home, the order in society was understood by everyone. There were people in authority. There were people who were to submit and nobody questioned that order. And so when Paul told husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, it was a remarkable thing. Verse four is stunning. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In its day, it was stunning that fathers were sternly advised how to raise their children. And it's not to make them angry. So, I just wanted to point that out. We're going to talk about perhaps what the Lord tells us about good parenting. What the Lord tells us and perhaps how we might apply it would be a better way to say it. Let's pray. Father, we recognize uh, that this is a broken world and we are broken people. And whatever we do, we do imperfectly. And yet you have given us guidelines about how you want us to live in this world. Principles that direct our paths. It's not easy because of our fallenness. It's complicated further by the spirit of the age, the culture, and it's never been easy. It's not that these are difficult days and it was easy before. They are different days though. And the culture thinks in ways about parents and children that are fairly new to human history. (laughs) And so, we pray that you would help us to take our instruction, our guide, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. So, why is there, do you think, so little written about Christian parenting in the New Testament? I'm gonna give three reasons and I'll leave these on the screen as we talk a little bit about Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. And and while I could tie all three points to the text, there's a there's a bit of speculation going on here. It's okay to speculate as long as you say that you're speculating and you are being true to biblical principles. You know, uh, it's been a while since we've gone through a book of the New Testament, book of the Bible, book of the New Testament. We'll be jumping back into that in the fall. And sometimes people say, oh, I don't want to go through. I just want to go all over the place. Let's go all over Scripture. When we're in the book of Hebrews this fall, I promise you, we're going all over Scripture. Hebrews takes us all over God's Word. But when you do that, you lay a foundation that enables you to get out on the edges and be safe a little bit. So we're a little bit out there on the edges this morning. um, And and recognizing that, we have to be careful. Having given that disclaimer, I think the first first reason that there's so little said in the New Testament about parenting is because there's so much said about it in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is supposed to be part of our learning, part of our guide for instructing our children for living in this world. In Ephesians 6, Paul ties his instructions for children to obey their parents to the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Before we jump into talking to the parents, can I say a word to those of you who are still living at home or those of you who are under your parents' authority, the Lord expects you to take your role in your family very seriously. He's not saying, oh, I just don't think he gets that or maybe she's not old enough to understand. No, he puts a a hard word on you. He says, you want to have a good life? You want to live long? Not only obey your parents, honor Your parents in the Lord. Colossians 3 says obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. So let me ask you kids. You guys who are under 18 or maybe even under 21 or 22. Do you think that your parents are doing a good job raising you? Well actually that's not your question to ask. That's my question. I'm going to ask them the same question question. Your responsibility though is to sit before the Lord and to say, help me to be the person. God has called you to be in the place that you're in right now. It's a calling to be a child. One day you're going to be telling your kids the same thing you're hearing from them. From your parents. It's going to be your turn. Don't make us pray that you get what, what goes around, comes around which is not a Christian Christian idea, by the way, that is not the same as you will reap what you sow. It's kind of a karma idea that everybody gets grace as we get better than we deserve. We don't get as badly as we deserve. Well, anyway, back to the point. There's a great deal about parenting and the role of of, of the child in, in the Pentateuch and in Proverbs. And that shouldn't be lightly discarded. Nonetheless, there is danger to looking only to the law for parenting instructions. It doesn't always say what you think it does. i mentioned this many times, but a lot of you are new. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word way comes from a Hebrew word that can also be translated bent, as in the bow is bent. And so, while we think Proverbs 22 is saying, Well, train him up like this. You know, bless God. It's not saying that at all. It's saying that every one of your children is different. And God has given each one a particular bent. And you need to, to, to craft your instructions for each child according to the way that God has designed him or her. But there's a whole lot in the Old Testament that says do this, don't do that. And if teenagers rebel, take them out and stone them to death. We're not going there, okay? We're not under the law anymore. And that is actually part of the point. Um, we are under grace. We'll get more there in just a moment. The word for children, by the way, in Ephesians 6, 1, doesn't refer so much to a certain age as it does to relationships. Although, clearly in Ephesians 6, Paul is talking about children who are at home and who are growing up. How parents are to raise their children. But it's very consistent, the word that he used, which means relational rather than age. It's very appropriate since Paul in in 1 Timothy 4 said, look, take care of your aging parents. And if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. Now... A lot of husbands, Christians, husbands, Christian husbands, take that verse out of context and say, Well, I've got, to just, I've got to work 60, 70 hours a week. I'll be worse than an infidel if I don't take care. What it's saying is, bring your old parents and grandparents into your home. Take care of them. So, you know, if under different circumstances, I might say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. But I wouldn't do that from the pulpit. So... This should happen if the second of our three points is embraced. The great commandment and the second covers the full range of bringing one's children in the discipline, raising one's children um, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, then he tacked on and said the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. He was referring back to Deuteronomy 6, 4, the great Shema, where Moses said that the great commandment is it, or this is the command to you, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you should teach this to your children and talk about it, rising up, lying down, everywhere you go, day in and day out, train your children this way. And all of that is being said in Ephesians 6 when Paul is hearkening back to the law. He's saying there's a lot of good stuff in here that you need to know. But the beginning and end of the law is love. We don't think about it that way, but it is. Well, that was the intention. But of course, we're unable to keep the law, which is why the next point is so important. Parenting, like all of life for the believer, is to be gospel saturated. When you read the Old Testament for parenting instructions, remember that the New Testament tells us that even though the law is good, perfect in fact. It is an instrument of death to those who seek acceptance before the Lord by keeping the law. And living under the law has, there there are a lot of Christian homes where that pretty much feels like the deal. We're living under the law. Certainly there's great benefit to law in society and in the home. Sometimes you just have to lay the law down, right? But does God accept you, mom and dad, because you obey him? Or because you believe that Jesus lived the life that you were incapable of living. And he died a death that you deserved. And he rose from the dead in order that you might live again. What are you hoping is your acceptance? Your obedience or his obedience? That's credited to you through your repentance and belief. Make sure that you don't communicate to your child. That your love is based on his or her behavior. Make sure your home is gospel saturated. So how does one do that? Well I've got a lot more thoughts about parenting that I'm going to share in just a moment. Uh, Thoughts are going to be back and forth. Because this parenting thing is a balancing act isn't it? And, and, and the things that we talk about will show how difficult it can be. Uh, before I get started, though, I want to recommend a book. April Lee has been reading a book. And when Ricky talked about it the other day, Ricky, by the way, who graduated from Moody Bible Institute yesterday, and uh, will be coming home, make sure to offer your congratulations to Ricky. That's a, that's a great accomplishment. We went down to Charlotte, Michael, uh, our son was graduating yesterday from Gordon-Conwell and. Charlotte, what a great day that was to see him get his seminary uh, degree. And so many others, we've been talking about it. We really miss saying congratulations to a number of the Campbell students who have graduated this year. Others of you who may have graduated from other institutions. Sarah last week from Meredith. And just a great time of the year. But that's an aside. When I was talking to Ricky this past week, I said, oh, let me see this book. Please bring it as I prepare for the message. And, and, and I'm telling you, it is phenomenal what I've read. Elise Fitzpatrick and her daughter, um, Jessica Thompson, wrote this book, Give Them Grace. Listen, this is a breath of fresh air. And all the stuff that's written about parenting, you should buy this book yesterday if you are a parent or hope to be a parent in the near future, Uh, or if you want to be an annoying grandparent, you know, that you can tell your kids, actually, it would be good for you to read as a grandparent. And then when opportunity comes at just the right moment, you can say, oh, I've been reading this awesome book. Well... Last week, Scott told us all that Jesus meant when he put a child in the middle of his disciples. And he said that we must all become like a child if we have any hope of heaven. The kingdom of God is made up of those who are like this child. We have a great deal to learn from children. That was our, a good portion of our focus last week. A good portion of our focus this week is children have a great deal to learn from us. If you are a believing parent, God expects you to raise your child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's assumed, it's just assumed in the New Testament that your child will grow to take his or her place in the covenant community, in the church. Don't wait for them to make up their own mind. You point them in this direction. As you know, we are reaching crisis level with children walking away from the faith when they reach an age with any semblance of independence. Now, a lot of those, in fairness, a lot of those children come back to the church when they have children of their own. And if you're thinking about doing that, teenager, college student, do not walk away. Don't. Hang in there, young couple. If, you're, if life is so hard. If you're struggling with each other. Don't walk away. Stay where you are. Let this community help you. Didn't talk about it a couple of weeks ago. Because really. I didn't have time to add two or three sentences into the message. Like I've got a lot of time this morning. Just settle in. I'm going to tell you. This. Look this fall. We're going to have homes set up around the communities. We mentioned this, but not in detail. A- around the communities in Fuquay, in Lillington, Buies Creek. Where we're going to invite young couples to come. We're going to provide child care. We're going to, it's not going to take the place of home groups. It's going to be once a month. But you can come and learn about marriage matters. That's going to be the name of the the, 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 the topic. In fact, if you're single... You're planning to get married, we would invite you to come in there as well and and see what it's like. We want older couples, younger couples getting together and talking about the things that make for a good marriage. I picked up a book at the Gospel Coalition several weeks ago called Marriage Matters. Alice and I have just started reading it. It is, oh my gosh, just reading the introduction made me really want to read it. And so far, this is a great book. Hope this is going to be Uh, our curriculum for the year. But a lot of it's just going to be encouragement for one another. You know, where you say, you're kidding. You guys are going through that too. Well, good. We don't feel so bad now, you know. Oh, wow. How did you work it out when you were young? You know, what were the problems? So we want to help and we need to do the same things, kinds of things for young parents. It's hard to raise children today. But let me again, my point, don't let your children walk away just because you want them to make up their own mind. If your child has walked away, I'm going to talk about this again at the very end of the message. If your child has walked away, don't blame yourself. Every person has to make his or her own decision. And nobody's going to stand before the Lord and say. Well my parents. And the Lord's going to say. Well you know what you're right. You had a hard time. Let me just. No. You have to make your own decision. If you could have done things better. Welcome to the club. And get in line if you wish to talk about your failures. So let's spend a little time talking about parenting. I think I would be able to back all of these suggestions that I'm going to give. Uh, biblically. But no doubt, some of what I learned raising three kids plays into the advice I'm about to give. And no doubt, some of you will disagree with some of the things that I'm going to say in the time that we have left. Can I ask you to please just give some thought to these points after you've cooled off a little bit, you know? I I was very much like John Wilmot, whom Scott quoted last week. Before I got married, I had six theories about raising kids. Now I have six kids and no theories. You know, that's pretty much the way parenting is. And that's certainly the way that I felt when I began. And no matter how you were raising your children, you have no idea whether you're doing the right thing or not. Well, other people do, but you don't know, you know, whether you're doing the right thing or not. And you have no idea how they're going to turn out. You just don't. There are no guarantees. So, some of the things that I'm going to talk about, I see in retrospect. I didn't know it all along the way. I was. I felt just like that guy. I was a psychology major. And like three months, for those of you who want to try to do the math, three months after we were married, my wife got pregnant and... Um, So I'm thinking, that's okay, I've got this. I'm a psychology major, you know. (laughs) By the time Elizabeth was born, I didn't know. I didn't know nothing about raising no children. I can tell you that. It's like, ah, what am I going to do? Well, here goes. First, teach your child to honor all adults. The biblical word and principle is fear. Now, not to be afraid of adults, but to have a healthy Respect for adults. When I talk about the olden days, if you're under 50, don't be so quick to dismiss the things that happened in the olden days because you know what? You've got ever how long you think the earth, how, how long you think humans have been here, 6,000, 10,000, 25,000, I don't care. How long do you think humans have been here? It's been all of that and then it's been the last hundred years, maybe a couple of hundred years where people started thinking differently about child-centric. Look at the Gallup poll from 1950 to 2005. How kids think about themselves. When most of us got in trouble at school when I was young, you didn't want your parents to find out. You know, can you imagine old-timers going home and saying, you'll never believe what that teacher did to me today. Made me stand in the corner. You didn't want that. Information getting back home. Listen, I know, and I'm going to address this again in the next point. I know some adults who are not worthy of respect. I know adults are not always, and your kids come into contact with them. But the New Testament teaching is for all of those who are in submissive roles to give honor to those who are in authority. That is just the teaching of the New Testament including slaves, if you have a bad master, show honor. You serve as if you're serving to the Lord. You respect and obey the Lord. And you do so by showing honor. Thank God we don't have to deal with that today. Teach your children to respect adults. Honestly, if you're college age or more, Feel free to call me Brad. If you're under, please call me Pastor Brad. Just, that's just important. I just think it is. Of course, I'm Southern, and yes, sir, and yes, no, ma'am, makes a lot of sense to me. You know why? Because it helps with this respect and honor thing. And I, I realize that's cultural. I'm not going to throw that out as biblical. You do everything you can to help your children learn respect until recently this the way it's been obviously not always but for the most part children honored and respected adults and you cannot allow the culture to move you away from God's design I can assure you that if you will teach your children to have a healthy respect and honor for all adults your teachers your children's teachers at school will thank you so much as will the people who are taking care of your kids right now in the back teach your kids to have respect for adults. One of the ways that you can do that this is going to seem like an aside, it's not. One of the ways you can do that, you can teach children to respect all adults, is to teach them how to appreciate adult humor. Which you may have to adjust to yourself. See, generations in the past used to be far more connected with one another than they are now. And we might say, oh yeah, grandpa's corny. But we wouldn't say, that's stupid. You you know how you know that you've got a language down? That you really understand a language? When you are able to get the humor in that language. Because you understand the culture. You probably think... That Jesus didn't have much of a sense of humor. That's because you don't understand the culture of the day. Jesus was funny and sarcastic. A few weeks ago, you remember we were talking about John 21, when Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? I mean, I can see that happening kind of like, so Peter. Remember Peter said, If everybody else, everybody else falls away, I want. And Jesus says, Peter, uh, so you love me more than these guys do, right? Is that right? Is that what you were saying? I mean, you didn't have to say all of that. Everybody knew. And three times he asked him. And it was a little bit of a dig and it hurt Peter. But it made the point. Again, this is not as random as it may seem. God established order in the covenant covenant. Community, and we may yet spend time talking about finding our place in the covenant community. From 1 Timothy, a whole lot is said in 4 and 5 about that. And if our older brothers and sisters in our community are considered irrelevant, something is badly out of order. Very badly out of order. So, if you are a parent of small children, let me ask you, what kind of connection do you and your children have with the older saints in our body? Again, if you have none, please correct that. Get to know some of the people who are older than you. And of course, they're not in tune with your culture. But you know what? It's way more responsible, You're way more responsible to be in tune with their culture than the other way around. Because in this life, those of us who are submissive are always called to a greater responsibility in the way that life works to those who are above us. Now look. I realize, especially with middle class, upper middle class parents, we teach our kids to question things. And that's part of the ways that you will help them to grow into the adults that that, that will make enormous contributions to this world and to society in this world. So don't confuse what I'm saying as, as encouraging your kids to be Uh, Little robots who obey everything. Yes sir, yes man. That's not it at all. But honoring those who are older is a big part of our responsibilities. Especially within the covenant community as believers. Is there any place like the church where all ages are designed to meaningfully interact with one another? Make sure your children know the seniors in our body. And Who they are. What they like to do. And those of you who are seniors. Same thing. You just may tend to shuffle out. No I'm just kidding. I shouldn't have said that. You, you may just tend to walk out. Look I'm shuffling myself here pretty soon. Um, you, you may just want to walk out. And just not pay attention to anybody. Pay attention to each other. All of us. We need to do that. Care about one another. Secondly. At the same time, fiercely defend your child when necessary. Just make sure it's necessary. Look, some of you, I can imagine, were sitting with great difficulty through that first point. In fact, maybe even fuming. If you were abused as a child and an adult did not step in, I don't blame you for being upset you make sure that your children are well protected and you create a climate and a culture for them to be able to tell you when something is not right make sure though that you intervene for the important issues when you speak with your child's teacher fo- say fo- just that as an example say that follow One of the seven habits that Stephen Covey identified of highly effective people. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. And both are important. It's not that you just listen and walk a mile in his shoes and then just go your own way. No, try to understand where the teacher's coming from or the one in position of responsibility over your child is coming from. And then say, now let me help you understand what's important. To us. That's a good practice by the way. For you to model for your children. Seek first to understand. Then to be understood. Next. Resist the cultural pressure. To say yes to every sport. Or artistic activity. In which your child wants to participate. Especially on Sunday mornings. But it's the only time. This particular team travels. I get it. I. I, I recognize it's a different day. It's a different look. I go home and watch NFL, you know. So who am I to say you shouldn't take your kids to sports? I'm going to watch sports on Sunday afternoon. I'm going to go to the restaurants where they, you know, people are, had to be there before church was over in, in order to serve me. But I just want you to think about right now, we have the opportunity to miss church for stuff that we want to do. It may not be long before culture forces us to either be in or out. That doesn't make sense now, it may later. So I I get the difficulties. You absolutely ought to encourage your child. Again, don't mistake anything I'm saying as pull back and let your child be average. That's not the point I'm making at all. You ought to encourage your child when he or she excels at something give them opportunities to to experience as much of life as possible but ultimately ask yourself this question where do I want my child's identity to be no wait 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 it may not be your child's identity that's in play here it may be your identity don't put that burden on your children don't do that on the other hand Say yes to your child whenever possible. (laughs) Having fun. The kind of fun that the whole family enjoys enjoys is more important than you can possibly imagine. I know this seems back and forth, but that's the way it is, isn't it? It's a balancing act. That which is called for today may not be called for tomorrow. And it's amazing, is it not, how often, how easy it is, even though our kids are doing everything all over three counties. Isn't it amazing how easy it is to get into the pattern of saying no? Mom, dad, no. No, no. No, practice saying yes as much as you can. And keep your promises to your children, even if it costs you. Don't say, you know, we might go to sunny skies. If you say we might plan on going, keep your promises. Two o'clock this afternoon, let's (laughs) all hear that kids. Uh... Next, do not ask your child if he or she would please obey mommy or daddy. Tell your child what you expect and expect your word to be obeyed. I'll do this point like this because I know some of you are going to disagree. Honey, would you please be quiet so mommy can pray for... No, don't do that. Tell your children what you expect and expect them to obey you. I, look, I, I know it's a person. It can be a personality thing, and sometimes it's you can incorporate questions into your training. That's not my point, but this, it's a really easy line to cross. Because I said so is rarely a good answer when a kid asks why, but it is the right answer sometimes. Maybe it's better to say. Because I'm the adult, you're the parent. One day, you'll get to make these decisions. And you may think that you'll make them the other way. But I'm going to guess you'll make them exactly like I'm making them right now. You can say they talk it out with them. It's okay to do that. But the younger they are, the less talking there is to do. And I don't mean be a mean ogre, a mean person. I've just said, let's have fun. Have as much fun as you can. But it has to be within boundaries. So, honey, be quiet. We're going to pray now. That's much better. That's when they're young. When they get a little older, make sure that children never take a meal for granted. Since we're talking about praying at meals. Don't pull the old, people are starving in Africa. You get to show them videos of that today. And I'm serious about it. Show them. Show them what life is like for some people. Never, ever, ever take anything for granted. You know, 1 Corinthians 4 says, Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? Everything that we have comes from the hand of the Lord. And we are to teach our children that there's a, a respect that they owe, To their parents. To the Lord. And there's a a spirit of gratitude. That we need to have for everything. That he has done for us. Again I'm not encouraging you to be a dictator. But don't ask your young children. If they would obey. Expect obedience. And by the way fathers. Whenever you are present. Be the primary disciplinarian. Your wife has to do this all the time. When you're there. You be the one to say, nope. And uh, especially say, don't you talk to your mother like that. Don't make her say, don't you speak to your father like that. You say, don't you talk to me like that. And especially you say, do not talk to your mother that way. You're the head of the home. And yet, the mother is the one who is tasked primarily with raising the children. And it seems so unfair moms. When, when your kids are just like you can't control them for anything. And daddy comes in and they straighten up just like that. Listen be thankful that that's the case. Fathers you live in such a way. That that's the case. When you come home they straighten up. So. I think I said this especially when you're in public fathers be the don't put that on your wife so on the other hand whenever possible and this will be more as they get older let your child participate in decisions about his or her behavior and choices this is like all of the principles something that has to be learned Find ways to give your children opportunities to make decisions for themselves. Allow them to fail in a safe place. If you make every decision for your child, they're going to be wanting out from under your heavy hand as soon as they possibly can. And mothers, and this is very important, mothers of tweens and teenagers... This is going to be harder for you than it is for, you, for for Dad. As kids get older, moms are so committed to keeping their kids out of trouble that they try to micromanage everything. And again, it's the role that you've been given. It's natural for you to be that way. Fathers are wanting them to spread their wings because they've been out spreading their wings all the time. You know, it's like, hey, I'd love for my kids to experience this, and the moms like. Yeah. How you handle this, mothers, is going to determine your relationship for the next 8 to 10 years. Keeping your kids out of trouble almost always seems like a good thing, doesn't it? Somehow, you've got to embrace the process of letting them go. Husbands, fathers, you can help your, your wives, the mother of your children. By talking through all of this and... I know that some of those conversations don't go all that well. I I get that. Again, dad, you're the head of the home. Sometimes in private, you need to say, this has got to stop. So if you haven't wanted to walk out already, this may be the place where you just, you know, might get up and leave. We're running out of time, but it's crucial that you get these last two points. Be real about your own failures and struggles. Model a dependence of God's forgiveness, grace, and power for you to live as his obedient child. Once again, save this for the biggies. You don't want to say, oh honey, daddy made you mad. I'm so sorry. Please forgive daddy. for." The... Stop that. You're the daddy. But when daddy messes up, Say it. I messed up. I'm so grateful that God forgives me. It's all part of this grace. This establishing. This last point. Extending grace and establishing that gospel saturated home. Elise Fitzpatrick does a great job in that book. Give them grace. Look some of it's hokey. It always is when you push something too far. And that's, see, that's the whole thing about this raising kids. It's like Old Testament, New Testament, it all. There's a place for law, there's a place for grace. Over the whole thing, make sure your home is saturated with the gospel. So I want to close by saying a word to those of you who are parents whose children have made choices that are diametrically opposed to your own Christian beliefs and values. And when I say this, again, some of you may be in big disagreement and I want to acknowledge that this is a place that I have come to gradually over the years and a lot of it is through counseling and through what I've observed. And sometimes I've given counsel, especially earlier when I thought... Wow, I hope I'm doing the right thing. Turns out it was the right thing. It may not work for you, but this is what I want to say. Um, If you have a child whose values are uh, diametrically opposed to yours, you're likely going to have some difficult choices to make if you've not already had to make them. Should I allow my child to stay in our home under the same roof? With his or her partner regardless of gender. What should I do about that? Should I go to my child's wedding if I absolutely. Oppose. His or her choice based on biblical grounds. The answer to that question may be different if your child is 22 or if he's 35. Without directly answering those questions. Let me tell you what I've observed Sooner or later, we choose to love our children unconditionally. Sooner or later, we just choose to love them. Let me ask you a question. Does your child know where you stand on these issues? Do you think that if you could just say it one more time, or if you just read a good book lately, or if you heard a good word, if I can just say this, it's going to change his or her mind. It's not. You know what it does? It it builds the wall. It makes it thicker. And they go more in the direction you don't want them to go. If you're not careful, you'll make it far more difficult for your child to return to you or to the Lord. If you care more about your stand than you do your child. Now that's, again, don't, don't. Put two and two together and come up with six. You have to care more about God and His Word than you care about any other relationship, any other relationship in this world. But you know what I'm talking about. If you just want to say, hey, this is not gonna happen under my roof, when when someone is crossways with you, someone has hurt you deeply. Outside of the family, inside the family, chances are that we want to get back. We feel like we're going to gain something if we get back. But this is why God's, God's ways are so much better than ours. I, I, I think it was Sean I heard on a sermon recently I was hearing online. Sean was saying, we're never more like Jesus than when we're forgiving our enemies. Maybe it was someone else, I don't know. Sean was talking about that in one of his recent messages. Make it easy for a person to come back to you. Because sometimes people say, what I've been doing is ridiculously wrong, but I just can't admit it to my parents because of the ways that they have, you know, don't develop. It's tricky. Who knows how to handle those situations? None of us do. We're not adequate for it. But God's love, God's word, God's spirit tells us that there is a place to take a stand, a difficult stand in fact. In the end though, if God did not love and pursue you, Where you were, you would be hopelessly lost. Love your child. Make your home a gospel-saturated home. Let's pray. Father, you have modeled for us. How to treat our children. You treat us with deep, tender love and care. Teach us to honor and respect you. And Lord, may our commitment to raising children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Coincide with a commitment to honor and respect you, to love you, to hear from you, to be in your word, to receive discipline and instruction from you. We need you, Lord. We have a lot of children, a lot of children in our church. We have a great responsibility to these children. And even though I didn't talk about it in the message today, Lord, we all are a part of their success as believers as followers of Christ we pray that every one of our children our grandchildren will be saved will we'll know the love of God will put all of their trust in Jesus we pray that every one of our children will be united with the spouse who will love him or her for all the days of their lives. And that our children would be worthy spouses. Lord, we're broken people. But you mend us. And we have the treasure that we have in earthen vessels. That the glory might go to God. And that the light of Christ would shine through us. May it be so in all areas of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Just one thing to note, the amendment for the Constitution passed unanimously. for the benediction. From New Living Translation, Ephesians 6, 23. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said.